0: welcoming our guest preacher this week. His name is Max Wilkins and if you were here between 1984 and 1987 then you know Max pretty well because he was the youth pastor here. Uh, Let's see some hands. How many of you were here between 1984 and 1987 and know Max you got a lot of people who know you this week. <laughs> uh, so we are so glad that he is here. Um, but I bet you don't know what he's been up to since he has abandoned our youth. Uh, he, he is now the president and CEO of TMS Global. Uh, that is the mission organization that most of our missionaries who we support um, in this church, go through. Uh, TMS Global is uh, is there to to help support and equip these missionaries, help them find the fields that they need to go to, and to help encourage churches to find different ways to support missionaries and to learn more about God's heart for the nations and his love (laughs) for missions. And that is what Max does. He has written a book called Focusing My Gaze, Beholding the Upward, Inward, Outward Mission of Jesus. So if you want to learn more about the mission of Jesus, uh, he has several copies in the back. Uh, they are $20 each. He said he didn't bring any change, so um, if you give him 100 then you're taking five books. Uh, and so uh, please uh, prepare your hearts to hear God's word from him, and please check out the book at the end of the service. Max, come on up.
1: Well, thank you so much, and God bless you all. It really is not only wonderful to be here with you, but uh, I'm amazed at how many people who are here who know me and still showed up. So <laughs> that makes me that makes me feel good. I'm very nostalgic to walk into this historic uh, sanctuary. I think about all of the amazing uh, moments that I've shared here, and uh, passion plays, and revivals, and weddings, and even powerful funerals as we have uh, sent beloved on to glory, and um, all of the relationships that were were built here. And I'm glad that you're still moving forward. 170 years is amazing, and the legacy of this church is amazing Um, all over the kingdom of God, really. The number of missionaries and pastors and and church leaders who have come forth from here is astounding when you think about it. Um, But I suspect that some of the best days of the church still lie in front of you because God clearly is not finished yet. But I could go on and on, and some of you know I do go on and on. But uh, I think uh, I'd like to turn to the Word of God and uh, get started with that this morning. Um, Why don't you um, stand as we hear the Word of God in reverence for God and honor of His Word. This comes from the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. I suspect these words are familiar to many of you. Isaiah writes, "...in the year that King Uzziah died..." I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his throne the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the Lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. "'Woe to me!' I cried. "'I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty.' Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, "'See, this has touched your lips,' Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And may God add a blessing to this hearing of God's holy word. You can go ahead and be seated. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord why does he tell us that this happened in the year that King Uzziah died who in the world is Uzziah anyway we probably don't know a whole lot about Uzziah but the people in Isaiah's day did Uzziah was on the throne for 52 years And apart from the reign of David and Solomon, the years of Uzziah were some of the most glorious years in the history of God's people. Peace reigned in the land. There was prosperity all around. And Uzziah had restored the faithful worship of God to the temple. So this was an amazing reign, but now it's ended. I was thinking some about this when Queen Elizabeth passed away. You know, I was deeply moved by the queen's passing. I've never been a citizen of the United Kingdom. She's never been my queen. And quite honestly, it's, it's hard to know why the monarchy is relevant anymore. But her passing represented the passing of a stability that has been part of my life since I was born. No one has ever used the words Her Majesty the Queen without me knowing exactly who they were referring to. And people all over the world did. And it was just like a stability. But like everything in this created order, it's now gone. And the question I want to ask you today is, when life is unstable for you, When there's great change going on. When when there's brokenness or challenge or absence or death. When you're uncertain about what the future is going to be. Where do you look? Where do you focus your attention? Where do you turn your gaze? You see in Isaiah's case we know. Because in the midst of all of the uncertainty in the land, and he had good reason to be uncertain, history would prove that things would be unstable. But in the midst of all of that, the Word of God says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You want to know an astounding theological truth from this passage? You know why Isaiah saw the Lord? Because he was looking. Because when everything was unsteady, Isaiah lifted his eyes, he looked up, and he found what he was looking for. You know, his contemporary, Jeremiah, would say later, Seek me, and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. The Lord is not hiding from us. The Lord wants to be found by us. And Isaiah saw the Lord because he was looking for Him. And when he saw the Lord... It was an amazing thing. The the temple was trembling, and the the train of His robe was filling the temple, and there was smoke, and there was noise, and in the midst of all of it were these little flying fireballs called seraphim, and they're, they're just little angelic, fiery beings that are constantly circling around the throne of God, and they serve the purpose of being the mouthpieces of God's truth, and they're shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the whole earth, is full of your glory. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe the seraphim? Yeah. I'm so glad. I asked the question at the early service and everybody looked at me like deer in the headlights. And like I don't know the answer. Yeah, see, the seraphim, they pretty much exist to tell the truth, right? And so if they're saying it, we can have good confidence. I don't know if you've ever considered this. If they're telling the truth, If not only is God holy, 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 but if the whole earth is full of the glory of God, where can you be? What circumstance could be so dark? What brokenness could be so awful? What challenge could be so difficult that it's absent the glory of God? If the glory of God fills the whole earth, Then there's no question that God is at work and active and present in every situation. And the only question becomes then, where do we choose to focus our attention? Where do we choose to focus our gaze? Are we constantly fixated on what's broken and what's ugly and what's wrong and what's dark? Are we filling our hearts with negativity? Or are we seeking to determine where the glory of God is and what God is up to and fixing our gaze on that? You know, Jesus had some things to say about this. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's the lamp of your soul. And He said if your eye, if it's filled with darkness, your very soul will be eaten up with darkness. But if if your eye is filled with light, how light is your very being? In many ways, what Jesus is saying in that passage is that the focus of our gaze will determine the very state of our being. And y'all, this has implications for every area of our lives. If you're a parent... We had a little infant in the, in the first service this morning, beautiful little girl, and, and it, 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 children are wonderful. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But it's not always easy to tell. <laughs> they grow up, and they become teenagers, and sometimes they're frustrating, and, and, and we, we have to remind ourselves of the focus. I remember in one of the earliest churches that, that, that I served... A woman came to my office one day to complain about her 13-year-old son. And she began to pour out her heart in front of me, and I'm not kidding, she talked for 30 minutes, and she told me every imaginable thing that was wrong with this kid, and when she got done, I said, are you finished? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I have one question for you. Tell me what you like about Y'all, this was back in the old days. My watch was sitting on the desk and had one of those sweep second hands on it. You remember those things? That question hung in the air for three minutes. That's a long time to leave a question hanging in the air. She was looking at the floor, and after three minutes, she looked up at me with tears streaming down her cheeks, and she said, I can't think of a single thing. I said to her in that moment, there's only really two possibilities. Number one, perhaps you have, in fact, given birth to the spawn of Satan. <laughs> perhaps there is absolutely nothing redeemable in this child's life. But see, here's the problem, ma'am. I know your kid. He's not even close to being the worst 13-year-old boy we've got in the church. So that's off the table. If that's not true, then the only other possibility is you have become so fixated, so focused on what's broken and wrong and what you don't like in this kid that you're no longer able to see the glory of God that lies within him. You're no longer able to see the man of God that God wants him to be. You need to reframe the focus of your gaze. Y'all, it plays out in every area of life. Some of you are married. Marriage is a blessing, gift of God. But you know, married people fuss and, and have spats. My wife, Deedee, is sitting here with Nancy Jackson. Welcome back, Nancy and Deedee. And, and, you know, we have a wonderful relationship for more than three decades. But sometimes even preacher boys have spats with their spouses. And I remember I was was suffering for Jesus serving a church in Hawaii because somebody has to do it. And... um, (laughs) And I walked into work one morning And one of my pastoral colleagues, Pastor Wayne Looked at me and he said, what in the world is wrong with you? You look like somebody stole your little red wagon And I said, well, Pastor Wayne, it's that woman God put in my life She's just frustrating the daylights out of me Pastor Wayne said, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you just said? Who put her in your life? I said, well, the, the Lord did he said, "Do you believe that?" And I said, "Well, yes." And he said, "What's her name?" I said, "Didi." And he said, "No, I know that's what you call her. What's her name?" I said, "It's Dorothy." He said, "Yeah, Doros Theos, the gift of God." He said, "I think you need to get home and get on your knees and thank God for putting her in your life." He said, "What do you think?" That God said, hey, angels, gather around here watch this. i got somebody great for everybody else, but i got a real dud for Max. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put her in her life. He's going to be miserable for, for his whole life. He said, look, I know you. You can't be easy to live with. He said, you get home and get on your knees and thank God for the gift that's been put in your life, and you get your focus on what God was trying to do and is trying to do in that relationship. Just lift up your gaze. Because the focus of our gaze will determine the state of our being. I didn't say this at the early service, but did y'all hear about the guy that that took his whole family to Israel? (coughs) Had his his kids and his wife and a couple of nephews and his mother-in-law was with them and sadly, while they were over in Israel, the mother-in-law got sick and passed away. And so the guy was really concerned. He went to see an undertaker in Jerusalem, and the undertaker said, Well, we got two options. He said, You can ship her back home to be buried. But he said, I'm just telling you, with all the regulations and red tape and the airfare and all of that, he said... You're going to be set back like twenty-five, thirty thousand $30,000 for, for doing that. And he said, We've got many fine cemeteries here in Jerusalem. He said, We can bury her here for 500 bucks, but it's your call. You know, what do you want to do? And the guy thought about it for a minute and he said, I, I think we better ship, ship her back home. He said, I think, I think that's what we need to do. And the undertaker said, Wow, I'm, I'm impressed. You. You must have really loved your mother-in-law, and he said, Well, it's not so much that, it's just I got to thinking, you know, one person's already come back from the dead in this place, and I don't want to take any chances. <laughs> now that's terrible. That's that's it's awful. But there's a guy who needed to lift his gaze. I mean, God knew what he was doing, even when he put our in-laws in our families. It's so important that we pay attention to the focus of our gaze. In fact, I think that's what Paul was going on about in the book of Philippians, in that beautiful letter to the church in Philippi, when he gets to the very end. And, you know, almost every verse in Philippians is preachable. It's such a powerful book. But but he says at the very end, Finally, brothers and sisters, And I'll tell you what, you love it when preachers get to finally. um, But it's always a good idea when a writer says finally to pay attention because they're going to tell you the main point at that point. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's good, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's excellent, whatever's honorable, think about these things. Lift up your gaze. Isaiah looked up and he saw the Lord. But when he looked up and saw the Lord and saw the glory of the Lord, it also caused him to take another look. He looked inward. And in the light of God's glory, perhaps for the first time ever in his life, he saw himself as he truly was in the light of God's glory. And the scripture we just read says, and he said, woe is me. I'm just gonna tell you, woe is me, doesn't do justice to what the Hebrew says he said, because the Hebrew uses one word. Away! Away is an ancient cry of a broken, severed heart. Away, you still hear it today. You go to the Middle East, away is the cry that you will hear a Palestinian woman shrieking when she's just learned that her child has been killed in a bombing. Isaiah wasn't saying oh. I messed up some stuff. He was cut to the very core of his being. He says, I'm ruined. And not only am I ruined because I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. But everybody else I know is in the same boat. In the light of your glory, God, who can stand? Isaiah would later go on to write, Every one of my righteous acts is like filthy rags before you, Lord. And while that might not sound like good news, I want to tell you that it is good news. Because every one of us needs a moment of reality before a holy and righteous and glorious God. When we come to terms with who we are in the light of that God's perfection and glory, When we begin to understand the opening words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, when he said, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed, lucky even, are you if you're poor in spirit. You know what he means, poor in spirit? When you recognize that you don't have it within yourself to be the man or woman of God that you were created to be. That you can't attend enough Bible studies or go on enough mission trips or sing in the choir for long enough to dress yourself up and make yourself acceptable to God. But Jesus says, when you're in that moment, when you understand who you are and where you stand with God, you're blessed. Because He says the kingdom of God is for those people. Isaiah cries out in the brokenness of his recognition that in the light of God's glory, he's wrecked, he's ruined, he needs help. And you know what's so beautiful about this story is that immediately, as he proclaims his need and his brokenness, immediately he looks outward and sees the grace of God. One of those seraphim shouting out before the Lord to grab some tongs and get a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah and says, now you're clean. Now how can that be? How can it be that a a seraphim can just go, "Well, no, now you're clean? Let me ask you a question. This is participation time. Who did Isaiah see on the throne? I mean... Yeah, the book says it right there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw who? The Lord, the Lord seated on the throne. Now, here's the, what was the $63,000 or whatever question? Who is the Lord? Okay, I heard some people saying Jesus, and I'm glad I'm in the right room. The earliest claim of the church is that Jesus is Lord. Can I tell you that the reason those seraphim could take that coal from that altar and touch Isaiah's lips and pronounce him clean was because God was revealing the salvation plan in Jesus to Isaiah 600 years before Jesus. You say, how can you say that? That's ridiculous. He couldn't have seen and known who Jesus was 600 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. But you don't have to take my word for it. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 41. John, the beloved disciple, tells us. He says, Isaiah saw Jesus and was speaking about him. And it's significant that the Lord was seated on the throne because when did Jesus sit down on the throne at the right hand of God? He said, it is finished, and he gave up his soul, and then he was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Those seraphim were able to pronounce Isaiah clean because he was touched by the grace of God that Jesus bought for us at the cross. What I love about Isaiah is that he doesn't argue with the Lord. Isaiah doesn't say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I just told you how messed up I am. I just told you all the things I've done. There may be some good people. There may be even some good people in the kingdom. But me, I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Everything about me is ugly. I just confessed that to you. And now you're saying I'm cleansed? I mean, that's not possible. You know, What do I need to do to fix... Isaiah didn't say any of that. He just accepted in that moment that he was who the Lord said he was. And if the Lord by grace pronounced him cleansed, then he was cleansed. Listen to me, Christ followers. If you have ever in that moment when broken at the foot of the cross, you cried out, woe is me, I'm ruined I need a savior and you have tasted the grace of God, the word of God says if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, and the former thing has passed away, and God is making us new once again. He's sanctifying us and cleansing us and tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The King James says God's peculiar people, and I've met some peculiar people. Even in this church, I've met some peculiar people. But, but King James means a special people set apart by God. The word of God says we are not only children of God but joint heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ Jesus. I think one of the most important things in the kingdom is for Christ's followers to accept our identity in Jesus and have the courage to believe that we are who He says we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we feel like on the inside. You know why that's hard for us? Y'all, we have an enemy. And the enemy is a liar. And you know what his favorite word is? If Look at the temptation of Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, and this is an awesome moment, because Jesus gets baptized and God literally shouts out from heaven, this is my beloved child and I'm pleased with him. That happened at your baptism, right? (laughs) Actually, it truly did, whether you know it or not. People may not have heard the voice, but God absolutely was saying that at your baptism as well. But in Jesus' case, they heard it. This, this is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And then the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. You know what the next words Jesus heard were? The very next words were from Satan who comes and whispers in Jesus' ears and says, if you're the Son of God. Now wait a second. God had just proclaimed him from the heavens, this is my Son, I love Him, God Himself. And Satan still thought he could create an identity crisis for Jesus by causing questions about his relationship with the Father. Now, he had no success with Jesus, but let me just assure you of something. If Satan's going to try that with Jesus, you can believe he's going to try it with you. Who do you think you are? Glenda Doster, who do you think you are? There may be some, some, some great saints here, but... Certainly not you. Todd Pergo, who do, who do you think you are? I mean, you're not fooling anybody. It's lies from the enemy. Because if he can get us to question our identity in Jesus, he can get us all off track. But Isaiah had the courage to believe that God meant what he said when he said, I've cleansed you. Get on with it. And then we see another look. Because the final look in the story, and it's perhaps the most important of all, is Isaiah looks around and sees the state of the world. And even as he does, he sees a scene that I think is hilarious. He sees a scene that as he tells it has the Lord high and lifted up and the seraphim and Isaiah as he tells it there's no one else there and suddenly in light of the grace of God he hears this booming voice from the throne saying whom shall I send and I'm picturing a little pipsqueak Isaiah going (laughs) off, me (laughs) there wasn't anybody else there I've been leading for the last eight and a half years a, a global missions agency, and as a result, I often get asked the question. I often get asked the question, do you think I'm called to mission? You know, my answer to that question is always the same. Are you a Christ follower? Because if you're not a Christ follower, the answer is absolutely But if you are a Christ follower, then the answer is absolutely yes. Every follower of Jesus was given new life in Jesus by the grace of God for the express purpose of having you join Jesus in His mission. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He shares the gospel in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that's not your own. It's the gift of God, lest any person should boast. That's the gospel, right? Y'all still with me here? For by grace, you've been saved through faith. That's not your own. It's the gift of God, so we don't boast. But Paul goes on and he says, for we... Those of us who by grace have been saved through faith, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. God is not just saying to Isaiah, whom shall I send? God is saying that to every woman and every man who has tasted the grace of God. Look around. Look at the world. Look at the need. Yes, my glory fills the whole earth and I'm up to something, but I want you to join me in this. Conyers First United Methodist Church for 170 years has taken that seriously and as a result has produced multitudes of... Pastors and Christian workers and and missionaries and people who have served locally and around the world. TMS Global that I serve has three missionaries on our staff that were youth in the youth group that we were a part of back 35 35 years ago. And uh, that's just astounding. But the call is not limited to a special core of super-Christians. There are no super-Christians just humble, spiritually needy people who have tasted the grace of God and who know that the glory of God fills the whole earth and who are willing to join Jesus in His mission and say, here am I. Send me. Now, I know we need to go to lunch, but I want to tell you one more story and I promise I'm finished. I need to tell you that despite the fact that God wants each one of us to join Jesus in his mission, God does not need us. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God spoke and creation came into being. He said trees and there were trees all over the planet. He said mountains and Mount Everest sprang up. He said stars and the heavens were created. The God who created the universe does not need our help. Some years ago, Dee, Dee and I moved to the small cow town of Inverness, Florida, where we were serving Inverness First United Methodist Church as uh, the pastoral family. And the parsonage was on a lake, it was pretty, um, but the house sat on two and a half flat, treeless acres. And I had the responsibility to cut that grass. And in the summertime, sometimes twice a week, that grass would grow over the side of that lake and with all the rain, and it was hot and humid and muggy. But I had this little Kubota riding tractor there at the Parsonage, and it would take every Saturday four, four and a half hours to cut that grass. And one, you know, I'd just have to get my head around it and get out there and do it, but one day as I was preparing the the tractor for doing it, I looked up, and there was Joshua. He was about three years old. That's our son. He's standing on the back porch with his little arms up in the air. He says, Daddy, Daddy, I want to (sighs) help. I looked at him and said, Are you kidding me? You're going to help me? I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. There's not a blessed thing you can do to help me with this tractor. And You're just going to be in my way, and I'm busy, and it's hot out here. Just go inside and leave me alone. You think that's what I said to the boy? (laughs) Some of you did. You're like, I'm gonna whip that guy (laughs) when we get out of this service. No. I looked at him and I said, well, son, climb up here and and help your daddy. And so he climbed up in my lap and put his little hands on the steering wheel and I wrapped my arms around his little body and and we cut that grass together. And that four, four and a half hour job took us six hours with his help. (laughs) And I loved every minute of it. I didn't need his help. And he knew I didn't need his help. But he had looked at his daddy. And he had seen something that maybe he didn't even fully understand that clearly was important to his daddy. And he wanted to be a part of it. And I didn't need his help. But I wanted His love. And it always did my heart good when that little boy would crawl up in my lap to help me with anything. I'm going to tell you today, Conyers First United Methodist Church, (coughs) the Lord does not need us. But He wants us. Oh, how He wants us. And when his children, in the light of his grace and his mercy, lift their hands and say, Daddy, I want to help. That's a request that he will always answer. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I think that's really good news. Can we lift our gaze? The glory of God fills
0: the whole earth.
1: And best of all, He wants to include us in that glory. Well, God bless you as you celebrate 170 years. Thank you for letting me share with you today. And I think we're singing a hymn right now, aren't we? I forgot the music.